Matthew chapter 7. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. When I've been preaching over the last two years or so, um, we've been looking at this, these passages in Matthew, which are known as the Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew chapter 5. In two years, we've got to the start of Matthew chapter 7. Impressive speed there. Um, who knows how long it'll take us to get to the end. But today, we're going to look at the first five verses of Matthew 7. Let's read them. Now, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I guess of all the passages in the Sermon on the Mount, this is one of the more uh, well-known. Most people will maybe have heard of this. Let's see if we can get to the bottom of what it means uh, this morning. Um, I guess verse 1 is the key verse in this. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And, And we've got to work out what Jesus means by this verse. I guess on first sight, this teaching of Jesus would play out pretty well in 21st century Britain, because it seems that the prevailing culture in our society um, might well be, do not judge, in the sense of, well, anything goes really now, doesn't it? In the past, I guess it would have been a lot more clear as to what was considered to be right or wrong, acceptable, unacceptable, um, in terms of behavior, in every area of life, in terms of relationships, in terms of our responsibility towards other people, um, in terms of business ethics, in terms of religious belief. Um, I mean, of course, there might have been strong opinions as to what was the right thing to do and what was the proper thing to do. That actually didn't stop people behaving uh, in different ways uh, that maybe didn't work in line to that. It was just that it was done in secret often. Uh, People would have known that if it was public, they would have had to face a lot of condemnation from others around them in society. But nowadays, people are pretty much free to make the decisions that they want to make and live how they want to live and believe what they want to believe. And that's not a bad thing, really, is it, in some ways? At least it's not hypocritical. At least it's not saying you believe one thing and doing something else secretly uh, and in a hidden way. I mean, if you've been following the rest of this series on the Sermon on the Mount, you will know that one of the things that Jesus really detests is hypocrisy. Um, Everyone who's been baptized this morning has made their own decision to be baptized. It's not that they've got to a certain age and we've said, um, well, now you're, you know, with with Joshua saying, my son, now you're six years old, um, you know, it's time you got baptized. No, that's that's not how how it works. Everyone who's got baptized this morning has actually made their own decision to be baptized. They've made their own decision that they want to live their life for Jesus and to follow him. It's a genuine faith which they are pursuing. No one forced them to do it. Um, And that's okay. Society on the whole is happy with that. You know, people, you might have come today, um, a friend or a family member of someone who's being baptized, and you might be thinking, that's great. I'm really pleased for, for you. Um, it's not for me, but I'm really pleased that you have decided to do it. That, that's okay. 
Society is very tolerant. We don't want to judge people. We don't want to say, you're doing the wrong thing. I guess people are happy until it gets to the question, well, is biblical Christianity the truth? Is it the truth not just for those people who've been baptized? Is it the truth not just for those people who might meet here regularly and have decided that? Is it the truth for everyone? And actually, when it comes to truth, increasingly, people don't like to say that there is such a thing as objective truth, something that is definitely true for humanity. So if Christians, for example, say, well, Jesus is the only way to heaven, well, then we're told, oh, no, you're being bigoted there. You're wrong in saying that. How can you say that? How can you say there's only one way? There's lots of different ways. What about people with different faiths? What about the Muslims? What about those who just don't really have a belief in a God, just trying to live their lives? Surely it's okay for everyone to do that, and surely it'll all be okay in the end. In fact, any objective truth at all, something that's true for everyone, is seen as being dangerous and extreme. Truth is okay as long as you're only saying it's true for you. I guess it's summed up in the title of one of the Manic Street Preachers CDs that they did a, a number of years ago, which was called, This is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. In fact, a lot of people would argue that the only objective truth that there is, is that there is no objective truth. It kind of spoils their argument a little bit to say that. But, um, but that's what they would say. That you can't say that anything is true for anyone. And that they'd say that's the only true thing that you can say. Is this what Jesus is looking at here? Is that what he's meaning? I would say, no, it's not. Because if he's saying, don't judge, surely he's telling us not to say this is the truth. Or the Bible teaches us truth. Or Jesus is the only way to know God. Or anything like that. Because that's making a judgment that other things are wrong. You're saying one thing's right, therefore I'm making a judgment. Other things are wrong. No, Jesus is saying don't judge. How do we work that out? It can't be what he's saying. And we can see that just by looking at a few other things that he said himself. For example, the very next verse that we didn't get onto reading, verse 6 in Matthew 6. He says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet. Well, we're not looking at that verse particularly today. We'll look at it maybe next time. But, but if he's saying, don't give to dogs what is sacred, don't throw your pearls to pigs or before swine is the phrase, isn't it? Don't throw your pearls before swine. You've got to make a decision. Who are the dogs? Who are the swine? You're making a judgment. Well, he's just said, don't judge. And in verse 15, he says, um, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. They look okay. Actually, they're dangerous. They're false prophets. How do we know? Well, we make a judgment. We have to look at them and make a judgment. No, they're false prophets. It can't be what Jesus is saying. And of course, it was Jesus himself who said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Well, that makes us make a decision, doesn't it? Jesus is forcing us to make a judgment. 
a decision. What do we think about that? Do we believe what he said? Or is he just some nutter? Is he just some guy who was deluded, really? He said a few things that might have made some sense. But when he starts talking about almost being like God or being God and saying, I'm the only way to God, you know, if, if, if anyone else stood up and said that, you'd just think, what are you on? What's that about? Well, that's what Jesus is saying. We have to make a judgment. We have to make a decision for ourselves. The answer, actually, has huge implications for us. Those people who've been baptized this morning have realized that true life is found in Jesus. They've made a judgment. They could have done what many other people do and just gone along with the flow in life, just gone with other people, lived life the way everyone lives it. Because making a clear stand for Christ will mean that almost certainly they're going to face ridicule and criticism themselves. But time and time again in the Bible, Jesus invited people to make a clear choice to come to him, to receive the life which he offers. So if Jesus, if Jesus wasn't talking about judging and discerning what's right and wrong, well, what was he speaking about? He was speaking about the attitudes which people have, which are critical of others, which put them down rather than help them. And I guess we see it all the time, don't we? We see it all the time, people just being critical about other people. Ooh, ooh I, don't, oh, I don't think she looks very good with all that makeup on. Oh, I don't think that dress color suits her. Ooh, what's she done with her hair? I mean, and that's just the men. Some of the women <laughs> will be even more cutting about it. <laughs> Joking aside, we learn to think in this way when we're young kids. At school, it's often very raw and out in the open, isn't it? Children can just be nasty to other children. They'll just find something, uh, anything that they can pick on. If you're, at school to, uh, if you're at school age, you'll know it's true. If you're a teacher, you'll know it's true. Because actually, the kids will do it to you as well. Um, <laughs> but they'll just look for anything. How someone looks, the color of their hair, their height, their weight, the color of their skin what they like to watch on TV, any number of things. And actually, when we're adults, we learn to do it a little bit more subtly. But we're still doing the same thing. We learn to do it behind people's backs instead of to their faces. And usually, at some time or other, we'll have all uh, probably secretly enjoyed having a good old dig at someone who's not there when we're just talking to our friend who knows them as well or or we might be criticizing our boss at work or something like that. We'll all like to just be critical. Now, with the internet, the age of the internet, it's even easier to engage in this sort of behavior. And we, we can do it anonymously. All you need to do is go onto any internet forum and you will see vicious comments there about other people. I went on uh, a Strictly Come Dancing internet forum uh, this morning. <laughs> should have been preparing this. So I said, oh, I'll just see what's been happening. No, <laughs> all in the name of research. Strictly come down. And, and people were just being vicious and nasty about the dancers on, on Strictly. You think, what if they, any internet forum you will find it. People just having a dig, having a go. Why? Why do we all like to do that? Why are we all tempted into do that? Why is it common to many people? In fact, all of society probably. We do it to feel better about ourselves. Jesus is pointing out, actually, if we behave in that way towards other people, 
we're going to be judged ourselves. In one sense, that's obvious. Because if everyone's doing it, and if we're being critical about other people, other people are going to be critical about us. It stands to reason. There'll be people who are backbiting and gossiping and doing all, saying all sorts of things about you whilst you're saying it about someone else. So there's that, that's one sense of it. No one is immune. It'll probably happen anyway, actually, whether you, whether you do it to other people or not. But actually what Jesus is saying is a bit more serious than that. Don't judge or you too will be judged. He's pointing out that there is a judge of the world. God is the judge of the world. Actually, Jesus, the Bible says, when he returns, will judge. And we will all be judged for our actions, for what we've done in our life by him. 2 Corinthians and chapter 5 and verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that, one, that each one may receive what is due to him. For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, we're all going to stand before a judge who will give us what we deserve, whether we've done good things or whether we've done bad things. The problem is, the problem is, none of us only do good. It says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us manage to live up to the standard that God wants. It's a sobering thought. We'll come back to that later on. But for now, Jesus is wanting us to make sure that we understand what he's saying. And so he uses an illustration. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, that brother or sister, those Christians, those other people, he was talking to his disciples here. He was talking to those in it who were following him. I guess we can apply it to us in the church. Maybe there's someone who we know, someone else in the church, who has something that just isn't quite right about their character, something that's a little bit annoying, something that we think, oh, that's just not, that's just not good, the way that they just keep doing that, that habit they've got, the tendency they've got to do this, that, or the other. And we get, we can get obsessed with it. And we can focus on it, just keep looking at it, keep talking about it to whoever will listen. It can become a bit of an obsession. And we think, you know, really, someone needs to help them sort themselves out. And actually, they probably do need someone to help them sort it out. If you've got a speck, of, uh, a speck in your eye, or a splinter, maybe that's a better way of putting it. If you've got a splinter in your eye, well, it's going to need getting out, isn't it? We've all got faults. We've all got our things about us that would be better if they weren't there. And a splinter is pretty painful. And if someone comes genuinely wanting to help you to remove that splinter, that can be really helpful and really good. Jesus did speak about how we should help one another, how we should show each other our faults in love. In Matthew 18 and verse 15 onwards, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. 
And then it goes on to talk about, well, what if he doesn't listen to you? But there's a, there's a genuine desire there. If, if someone's done something against you that's wrong, actually go to them, sort it out. Try and sort it out. That's a helpful way to deal with things. Actually, it's a way that many of us find difficult to do. Actually, we'd rather talk about the problem or the issue or how someone's really hurt us behind their back. Jesus is saying, no, go, and, go to them and sort it out. In Proverbs 27 and verse 6, it says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. If you've got a true friend who comes to you in genuine love, wanting to just help you, and maybe that involves knocking your microphone off your ear. No. Maybe that involves uh, you pointing something out to them. Then that's not a bad thing to do. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Instead, many of us find it easier to gossip. Jesus is pointing out how ridiculous it is to get obsessed with a splinter in someone's eye. The small fault that they might have when you have a whopping great plank in your own eye. All the stuff that is actually going on in you. How, how much is going on wrong in your life? Now, okay, I'll, I'll give you a demonstration. Here we are. I've got a plank. Now, this is the plank that I've got. Imagine it's... I'll go this side. That's in my eye. Okay, right. And then I've seen Pete. I've been thinking about Pete for a bit now, actually. He's, he's got quite a few little character faults uh, that, uh, that I feel someone needs to point out. And I feel this is the morning to do it. Uh, so, Pete, I, I'm sure you won't mind. It's all in love, brother. Come on up. And uh, <laughs> I just need to get out this, uh, this splinter from you because it's, it's, it's just there. It's just... Let me just... Hang on. I'm sure there's a way of getting it. Right. Right, that's fine. Yeah, but let me just... Yeah. You see, this is kind of the visual... You can go sit down there. Uh, I'm sure there's no splinter there at all. Um, <laughs> Very good. You can see how ridiculous it is. Jesus is painting this ridiculous picture of people with, with huge... Beams, he said. I mean, that's only a little bit, but a huge plank in your eye. So I'm going around, I'm bashing people. Let me sort you out. It's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. How can you do it? Jesus is saying you can't. First of all, take a look at yourself. Deal with... <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Deal with the huge plank in your own eye first. Now, that, that's not so comfortable, is it, for us? Because we like to play at splinter spotting. So we can feel better about ourselves. If we're finding little things to pick fault at in other people, it makes us feel a bit better about ourselves. And actually, very often, we are aware that we've got faults. It's not that we're unaware of it often. But what we're wanting to do is we, we can get frustrated with ourselves, unless we believe our own publicity that we like to put out to other people that we're all sorted. But we get frustrated with ourselves. And we think, oh, no, I feel bad. I've done this. Well, how can we feel better about it? We've got two choices. We can either deal with it, and we'll talk about how to do that in a second, or we can pick on someone else. And where, where it's not a playground thing like, oh, you've got spots anymore. 
Well, it might be, but maybe a bit more subtle. Um, we're finding a little thing to pick at and to focus on, and it takes the focus off ourselves. It might make us feel a little bit better for a while. But it's not comfortable for us. It's not comfortable for us to focus on ourselves. It's not comfortable for us to think, well, what are the issues in my life that Neil needs dealing with? Jesus is saying, you've got to deal with what's going on in your life. Then you'll be able to take out the splinter out of your brother's eye, remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's not saying leave it there. No, deal with it once you've got rid of the huge great plank in your own eye. You will be doing something for proper motives then to genuinely help them, not to make you feel a bit better about yourself. So what can we do about it, finally? Well, we've all been there, haven't we, when we've been frustrated about something in ourselves, but we can't seem to change it. And the truth is we need someone to help us. The problem is everyone is walking around with these huge great planks. We're all walking around with these things. And so we're all, we can't help each other. We need someone to help us who's not got a huge great big plank in their eye. Proverbs 20 and verse 9 says, Who can say, I've kept my heart pure, I'm clean and without sin? Who can say, I've kept my heart pure, I'm clean and without sin? Similarly, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's why in in John chapter 8, there's the story of the woman who was brought to Jesus who'd been caught in adultery. Other people had had, had seen her, they'd known what she was uh, getting up to, and they brought her before Jesus. And the punishment for that was stoning to death. And they're saying, come on, Jesus, she's a sinner. She's the obvious one. She's the one everyone was picking at. She's the one that was was the one the focus was on. Aren't you going to stone her? There would have been such gossip going on about this woman in that town. And Jesus' reply was this. Let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. Okay, who's never done anything wrong? Who's never sinned? You, You pick up the stone and you stone her. And the Bible says they all walked away. We've got to face up to the problem of these big planks in our eyes. And to be honest, we need to be honest and see that we can't do anything about it. However hard we try, we can't do anything about it in our own strength. Romans 7. Paul, who wrote Romans, he sums up the problem. Let's read from verse 18. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. What I do isn't the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who does it, but sin living in me that does this. And he he carries on, and in the end he says, what, in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? from this body of death. And then he comes up with the answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
We're wandering around saying, oh, we want to do better. We want to change. We're making resolutions. I'm going to be different this time. You know, people can get into cycles of doing things, you know, in relationships with with their husbands and wives or kids or whatever, and they do something, they act in a way, they lose their temper. Oh, I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. I'll change. I'll change. You can't change. You can't change. The Bible says a leopard can't change its spots. Neither can you who's accustomed to doing evil change and start doing good. There's only one way out, and that is through Jesus. There's only one who's been born without sin. I said, no one, none of us have. Well, none of us do, did, but one was. One person was born without sin. That was Jesus himself. He was born. He lived a sinless life amongst us. He lived it for one purpose, so that he could take the punishment for our sin. He could deal with the planks in our own eyes. Remember how Jesus said, in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged? When Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't just facing the pain, the agony of crucifixion. He wasn't just feeling the pain of the nails in the, in the wrists and in the feet, the suffocation, the things that people sometimes go on about to great length. What pain Jesus was suffering. No, he wasn't just facing that. He was facing the judgment and the punishment for each of our sins. He was facing the judgment that we would have faced. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5 says, But you know that he appeared so that he may take away our sins. And in him is no sin. He could take away our sin purely because there was no sin in him. He could deal with the specks and the planks and the beams and the houses and whatever else we might have all had in our eyes because he was the only one who didn't have anything in his eye. He was the one who was perfect. He was the one who was sinless. So when we go back to that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it talks about our judgment. Very soon after that, in verse 21, Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you get what it's saying? God made Jesus. He didn't have any sin. He made him sin for us. He took our sin. We got his righteousness, so that we might become the righteousness of God. A swap, a transfer. He said, I'll take those planks, I'll take that sin. You have my goodness. And so when we stand, if we, if we accept that, if we accept what Jesus did for us, when we stand before judgment, as we all will, whether we know God or not, we'll stand before him and be judged, what will we be judged on the basis of? Some of us will be standing there, huge planks in our eyes, loads of stuff that was unresolved, that we thought maybe we could change on, but we couldn't. Or are we going to stand there and say, actually, I did have that, but Jesus took that. He took that. He's already been punished for that. On the cross, when he faced God's anger as well as the pain of the nails, he's taken it. 
How are we going to stand there? That's why Jesus died on the cross. To remove the planks from our eyes. Once we've come to him and have him remove them, which is basically what becoming a Christian is, recognizing he's the only one who can do it, and asking him to sort us out. Once we've done that, then we can help others out of a genuine motive to really help them see clearly, not just to put them down or make us feel better. If we already know God in our lives, Christ in our lives, we can come to him daily to say, just, just take away the stuff in my life. I, I can see there's still stuff there. I can see I'm not perfect yet. God, will you take that away? Will you forgive me? We can come to him and ask for that. And then we can help others genuinely to see. But we need to see the truth in our own lives first. The world is full of blind people who confidently announce the way to go, how they should live. But the world, they're simply the blind leading the blind. People with planks making themselves feel better by commenting on the specks and planks in other people's lives. And in the end, judgment will come on them and on us. As I was preparing this yesterday, I got through the post this reminder from the opticians. It says in capital letters, Do not neglect your eyes. They are the only pair you are going to get. <laughs> scary stuff. In a sense, this is scary stuff. We need to make sure we get our eyes sorted. This is the only life we are going to get where we have a chance to get them sorted. Don't neglect them. Don't come this morning and just think, ah, yeah, okay, nice. It was nice to see the baptisms, yeah, good. It's fine for them. I'm really pleased for them. What about yourself? What about yourself? Jesus is saying, look at yourself. Don't just pay attention to others. Deal with the plank in your own eye. Let's make sure we get our own eyesight sorted. Let's make sure we come to God today and get things right before him. He's here today. He wants to help us see clearly so that we can help others to see clearly. Let's pray.